Hey, ladies, I'm Jen Chappelle, and you're listening to In Sisterhood, where I share my real talk conversations with female entrepreneurs and other inspiring women. First, here in Knoxville, then the world. Sarah Loebner is making fucking good toffee. (laughs) Today, I'm sharing the conversation I had with Sarah Loebner, the owner of the Tennessee Toffee Company. Now, I've had toffee before and enjoyed it, but I can't say that I ever really knew what it was or how it was made. Well, Sarah told me how. It's butter and sugar, y'all. It doesn't get any better than that. Apart from Sarah schooling me on toffee, we dive into a straight talk conversation about speaking up, apologizing, working with mean girls, and how insisting, while sometimes uncomfortable, can actually be a kindness. So tighten up the old earbuds. Here's me and Sarah chatting on In Sisterhood. Sisterhood is supported by you. (laughs) But seriously, when you leave a rating and a review, you help us increase our reach and visibility. Do you love In Sisterhood so much that you've already given us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts? Well, the next step is to head on over to patreon.com slash in sisterhood to become a bona fide in sister. By joining our community on Patreon, you're insisting on the success of our show. You also get the chance to join in the conversation. I give my patrons a heads up when I schedule a new guest for the show and the opportunity to submit questions for the interviews. You can also gain access to a monthly hangout that's just for us in sisters. We gather virtually for encouragement, support, networking, behind-the-scenes info, and to discuss ways we can continue to insist on the success of the women in our community. There's even a membership level for the go-getters out there looking to grow their own businesses via sponsorship. Head on over to patreon.com slash insisterhood. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash insisterhood to learn more and to become a legit insister. I hope you'll join us on Patreon. Well, actually, I insist. I don't think I would know what to do with that either. So like I totally... And I mean, we got our shit together pretty... Oh, am I not supposed to cuss? I cuss a lot. (laughs) No, you may cuss. We There's an... like. It, if you look at it on like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, it says explicit. So okay, and I, it's not like I do it blatantly. I just it just even my kids know it. I'm like, when you're grown up, you can say whatever you want to say. But right now, when you're little, if you get in trouble, you're actually going to get in double trouble because then that means mommy's in trouble because they know where you learned it from. 
That's so true. And I have a big potty mouth. My husband, um, he sometimes is like, can you just like tone the fucks down? I know. <laughs> and and my, I, I don't like to always share stories about my kids on, on the podcast, but uh, my daughter, um, when she was maybe like two, she was like brushing her teeth with a light up toothbrush. And she said, daddy, my fucking toothbrush doesn't work. <laughs> And, you know, he tried to, like, not smile and not laugh. And he was like, oh, yeah. And then she was like, in case there was any shadow of a doubt, she said, I called it my fucking toothbrush because the light doesn't work anymore. Like, I'm that mad about it. And you need to know my level of frustration. And I know how to use the fuck word. And I'm two. Yeah. And sometimes there is just no better word to illustrate your level of frustration than with a good fuck it. It really, I mean, and you know, there's all those, those uh, blog posts that you see popping up on Facebook about like studies show that people who cuss are more trustworthy X, Y, Z, you know? <laughs> so I don't know if it's actually like empirically proven, but I'm going to go well, with I'm it. I'm going to go with it because it sounds brilliant. Yeah, it definitely does. Well, what have you been doing today so far? Uh, well, this summer has been super busy. And I realize now as we're approaching kind of the back to school time that I've been panicked about how little time I've really spent with the kids. I think the COVID and everything has made us all so much at home that I've just been like, oh, we'll we'll be home tomorrow. Um, So today, Edith and I set aside some time for just mother-daughter day. So we have gone to the school library was open this morning for her summer reading books. Um, we painted today and this was kind of our mommy daughter day, but right now she is at grandma's house on the farm and they're putting up a pool for the goats. <laughs> a goat pool? Yeah, she has these dwarf goats and they're hot. So she got the goats a pool. So of course Edith is looking at me like, Mommy, I know this is our day, but I have got to help with the goat pool. <laughs> I would have been there for it too. That sounds too precious. Well, their biggest concern is how to keep the pig out of it because they all like all the animals co-mingle, but the pig could care less if it's hot or cold and she likes to get into everything. Um, So they're like, if the pig gets in it, then she's going to guard the pool from the goats and the goats are scared to death of the pig. So um, how do you make a goat pool without the pig just claiming it? So I just told them they need two pools. You need a pig pool and a goat pool. So we might have a, a mini farm full of pig pools, I guess. <laughs> I am loving the direction that this conversation is going already. <laughs> <laughs> we, haven't we, started, we haven't talked about the mini donkeys yet. What? That's a thing? <laughs> oh my gosh. So she has a farm in Sweetwater, which is actually kind of how we got the building down in Sweetwater. But um, the farm in Sweetwater, she got these mini donkeys and they're full grown. They're like two years old. They're the cutest little ornery donkeys. And then the farm next to her has big donkeys. And one of the donkeys had a baby. And a lot of times the big donkeys will come over next to the fence and like they all hang out, the little donkeys and the big donkeys. Well, the baby donkey on day one was taller than mom's mini donkeys. It was so cute. We're like, oh, that, oh, it just puts in perspective how tiny the donkeys are. They're, they're little, they're cute. I want to do down at the shop sometime, maybe around Christmas. My dad does Santa. So bring dad and the mini donkeys down. We'll have like a little uh, Santa photo shoot with, with donkeys, baby donkeys. Oh my goodness. Do you, can like when we're done, can you like email me or text me or Insta me a picture of a mini donkey? Yeah. Oh yeah. Because I just cutest. can't 
believe that it's real. And I think that my children would love to see that. They're the cutest things. And they're so ornery. They're so, they will chase you and they're just playing. And if you let them catch up to you, they'll just stand next to you. Like, what are you going to run again? Like they don't want to do anything. (laughs) They just love to be chased and they love running around and they chase each other. And they have like big yoga balls and stuff in their field that they'll kick around and kick at each other. They're hilarious. Oh my God. They're like kids. Adorable. Um, so your mom lives in Sweetwater and your business is in Sweetwater. Are you in Sweetwater also? No. Um, so do you want me to kind of tell you the background of how we got to this point? Sure. Okay. So I'll just go from like kind of the beginning and it will lead to the conversation of Sweetwater because I think that's kind of a puzzle piece that if you don't know the whole thing, it doesn't really all make sense. <laughs> yeah, I know because I, when I was first, becoming aware of your company and the fact that you were opening a store, I was like, Sweetwater. Yeah. But like, I don't, I mean, not knocking Sweetwater, you know, at it, all. It would definitely it's, not be someone's just out of the blue first choice. <laughs> right. It's just like, I, I'm, I didn't, I, I obviously don't know you. So I didn't know if you like lived in Sweetwater or you lived nope. in Knoxville, but I'd heard about you from Knoxville people. Yeah. So I just assumed. Yeah. So when I saw Sweetwater, I was I like, do. what? I live in West Knoxville. Um, okay. Okay. So this is kind of how it all took place. So I, Used to work at a design agency in town. It's where my husband worked. It's where we met. It's where we got married. Um, he still works there. He is. You got really, married. Hang on, hang on. You got married at the office? No, no, no. just we got married. Oh. Actually, it was really cute. It was Highlands Grill down in Bearden, kind of before they okay. opened. Um, we got <laughs> married. It's just a lunch wedding, um, mostly because I was a little pregnant that no one knew, but I guess they might know now. Um, but we got married, just a lunch wedding. And it was a second marriage for both of us. So we live in West Knoxville, right near the office because my husband is legally blind. So he does not drive. He's brilliant. He's super smart. He's working on his PhD. Um, He speaks around the country for advertising disability, but he doesn't drive. So when he has meetings or whatever, I kind of need to have some flexibility to get him where he needs to go. But nowadays we have Uber, which is a lifesaver for our family. So he doesn't need me too much throughout the day but just to wow. and from work. And then because of that, like I'm the only driver for our kids. So we have two kids and life's just a little crazy. And yeah. I've always worked full time. Um, even when my oldest is our, we call her, I mean, she's our kid. She's technically, it's my stepdaughter, but I hate that word. It sounds so um, disconnected, but we really are like a, the four parents were, we're a family unit with the two kids and four parents. Um, and they live a neighborhood over from us. So they're always there to help, which is huge. Um, I really, I really don't know how parents that just are two parents and multiple kids do it. I have literally no idea. Um, <laughs> I mean, I know my husband doesn't drive, so that's kind of like, well, we could use some help, but still even that, like, I don't know how, I don't know how they do it, but so they, I left the agency about three years ago, just for some more balance in my life. Um, I work, I took a job as a director, not director. What the hell's my title? Manager. I'm the marketing manager at Sugarlands Distilling Company. So that's a distillery in Gatlinburg. And I've worked on their creative and in trafficking and you know, planning with the director of marketing. And that job's great. I mean, the flexibility, the hours, it's moonshine. So when you're having a bad day, you just kind of recenter yourself, be like, we work at a distillery. Um, <laughs> and that's all been very good. My job there is very good, which is kind of where this transition to this has been a little bit weird. I think sometimes people go into entrepreneurship specifically because they were either forced to either because layoffs or their industry changed 
or they were unhappy or the balance, but my job is great. Um, but I just, I needed something that's kind of mine. You still work at Sugarlands. I do actually, but I gave my notice. I've been now part-time the last two weeks and I gave my notice that my last day is August 7th in preparation of our shop opening in Sweetwater. So during all this whole time, I've still worked full-time. Um, Holy cow. Okay. Keep, keep going. Yeah. (laughs) But my husband's working on his PhD. So I find myself, the kids go to bed, you know, eight o'clock and I have hours of time to work on stuff, to dream up things, to create stuff. So, um, a few years ago, so for years and years, maybe like six or seven years, we have sponsored a little girl in Brazil. Her name's Sarah actually. And Mm. she was starting to age out of the program. So I had an opportunity to go to Brazil and meet her. And my husband has always been, um, he is like logical to a fault. So when I say something like, I want to take our family savings, I'm going to go to Brazil to meet Sarah. He's like, the hell you are. He's like, (laughs) I love you. And I love Sarah. But like, at some point, you're not using our family savings to go on a trip without the rest of us. Like that, that money's for our family, not for just you. And I was like, "Hmm, okay, well, I hear you, but I'm going. So I had to find a way to kind of fund it. And for years, I've made toffee for family, friends and stuff. um, But I needed a way to fund the trip. So I was like, well, I did the branding years ago as like a side project, just a daydream, but it never, it never felt right to launch or do. And then the trip came up and I was like, you know what, this might be a great opportunity to launch the little toffee company and pay for my trip. Um, So I put the website together, you know, perfected the recipes and and did a lot of research into what other, there are other toffee companies out there, of course, um, none locally in our market, which was a great little fit for me. But um, everyone seemed to kind of have their basic flavors, you know, the milk chocolate or dark chocolate. But I really, in working at Sugarlands, was kind of open up to the concept of a base, like our moonshine, we'll have a base and then we flavor it and everybody has their own favorite flavor. So I was like, well, how could I bring that to something that I personally love? I think toffee is the best candy in the world. But how can you make it where everybody has their own reason to really come behind the brand and really love something about it that's kind of uniquely theirs? Um, So I started with multiple flavors. And right now we have... I'm looking at the wall where we've hung up all of the little pictures of all the flavor labels. And there's 18. Um, So we have kind of our basic six. And then throughout the year, we launch different flavors here and there. So I came up with a concept, worked on the labels and launched it to pay for the trip. And my goal was to pay for it in six months, but instead it paid for it in six weeks. And holy cow. I was like, holy cow. I was like, uh, uh, what have I done? And I think it just goes to show, first off, everybody else loves toffee. It's that good. But I really had support of people behind me going, this is a great idea. You should do this. And I was kind of like, no, I mean, I work full time. It's not really a thing. I just need to pay for the trip. But the more support I got, the more it kind of opened up the idea of like, am I, am I missing an opportunity to do something for myself if I don't do it? And how long do I go without making it kind of serious? So for maybe the first six to eight months, it was kind of like I was not the face of the brand. No one at work really knew I did it. I didn't talk about it on social media. It was very just friends and family because I was like, I I work full time. I can't jeopardize my job. Um, I didn't want to. I didn't want to lose my job and we need the income. Um, So I really kind of played it very safe. But then my husband was like, hey, if you're going to do this, I think you should really, you know, make a go of it. And Design Sensory was working on a website for the Maker City. Um, 
or the branding. I don't think they did the website, the branding. Um, and it was just kind of the time felt very great about being a maker in the Knoxville community and how supportive the community is of people making things and, and you know, building their brands. So I went to the Maker City Summit, very incognito, like was just there to kind of learn because I wasn't like a thing. I kept being like, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. And I heard some amazing speakers. And one of them was talking about the word busy and being busy and using it as like a four letter word that we all just use because, oh, I'm busy. Oh, I'm busy. But like, how can you be more efficient with your time? How can you be less busy? How can you enjoy the moments and still get everything out of life you want? And it really kind of hit home of like, wow, you know, I've I'm just trying to get through the day, you know, every day, just get through the day, get through the day. But when do you really start like refocusing on what you want your days to be instead of what everybody else needs your day to be? Mm. So I I really kind of took it as a moment of like, God, this really, this maybe could be a thing. And if it is a thing, where do I, where do I start? And what do I do? And actually, you know, I talked to Dale Mackey, I've listened to her podcast. I talked to him like, how'd you get going? What'd you do? How'd you start? You know, this is a a food-based product. So where do I need to begin? And she helped me understand that the commercial kitchen side of it and what I needed to do. And so um, I kind of got that all figured out pretty quick because it, it seemed to be something I probably should have done a little quicker into it. Um, but I got that all sorted out and um, added something to the Maker City website. And kind of as soon as I did, uh, Visit Knoxville contacted me. And they're like, hey, do you wholesale? I was like, I sure do. And then I searched real quick, what the fuck is wholesaling? Because I didn't know what I was doing. So um, I asked a lot of people a lot of questions and I got a lot of answers, a lot of support, and we figured it out real quick. And there was still a lot, a lot of steps I needed to take that I had not done yet. Um, but once you're into commercial kitchen space, everything just kind of starts to fall into place. And there's a lot of other people that can connect you to the right, the right contacts to get, you know, your health department stuff, your um the Department of Agriculture, your USDA stuff, you know, everything that you need to do, it kind of, there's people there to help you. And so I took um, a co-starters course at KEC, Knoxville Entrepreneur Center, and Mm -hmm. they didn't have answers as far as the commercial kitchen side of it. I bet there were people there I could reach out to, but the class itself didn't touch on that. But it touched on all the other parts of the business that I didn't know about. You know, being in advertising and design and account management and marketing, I kind of felt like I had a good grasp of that part. But stuff like business taxes and profitability and profit margins, things that I didn't really have a good idea. I, you know, I kept thinking, oh, I've made money. I'm going to be good at this. And then when you start breaking down the numbers down to the like minutia, you're like, oh, that's how you make it work. And that's the kind of numbers I need to be bringing in if I want, if I expect to replace my income. Um, so that was very eye-opening. It was great. And then the personal connections I got out of that class. Um, I still talk to a lot of those people as we're kind of building our own little entrepreneurial dreams. Um, and it's just been really, really great. So that kind of got everything kicked into high gear, uh, you know, as far as making it kind of real, like making it a thing. It just, it just all happened. Um, and then, I mean, so then, okay, we kind of fast forward on how to get to, how to, how to get to Sweetwater. Right. So it's, you know, we had commercial kitchen space in West Knoxville. We live in West Knoxville. Everything's in Knoxville. And my aunt who had a house in Minneapolis and one in Georgia said, Hey, I want to retire and I want to live in Tennessee. Where should I live? I was like, great. You should move anywhere between 
If you don't love South Knoxville, which I didn't think it was quite her jam, if, if you don't want to live there, live somewhere between West Knoxville and Nashville. I think you can, can't go wrong. And so she started looking for land and she stumbled on Sweetwater. And I had done work in my ad agency life a while ago with the economic development of Loudoun County. So I had spent some time down in Loudoun with TikTok ice cream and all the great things and the businesses they're building there. And so I was familiar with the area. And when she said Sweetwater, it was like, okay, that's a good place to buy 80 acres of land and build your retirement home on. And it never really sunk in that it would be anything more than just where my aunt lives. Um, but then my, my mom wanted to retire and move from Ohio. And she said, you know, I really can't imagine moving anywhere else, but Tennessee, considering you're there, my brother lived in Texas at the time. She goes, I'd like David to move to Tennessee and get us all closer. And her sister, who's like her best friend just bought land in Tennessee. And mom said, I just want to retire someplace really cute, but like my own little town. Like, I don't want to be on top of you. I just want to be in my own little town. And so she picked Saudi Daisy. She was like, doesn't this sound so cute? And I was like, mom, there are like 4,000 people that live in Saudi Daisy. I think you need to move to Knoxville. So long story, fast forward, she finds the cutest little six acre mini farm that didn't have any animals on it in Sweetwater. So she bought it. She moved down, started filling her mini farm with mini donkeys, mini goats, a pit, an ornery pig. Um, <laughs> and she has four big dogs that are farm dogs. Like she's just the happiest. And so as it, the timing kind of lined up with when I was trying to start this and instantly I started needing help. So she would come to the kitchen space and we would work late, late hours. Cause everything was, we'd get started at seven or eight at night and work till midnight, but she's retired. So she didn't care. So she'd sleep in in the mornings and I'd get up and go to work and deal with kids. And, and that was kind of the, the schedule we had um, for a long time. And then we got through the holiday season, which Oh my God, it kicked our butts. I was like this, I, I can't, I can't even wrap my head around what, what we went through for the holidays to get all the orders out the was door. Was that, was that this past holiday season? Yes. Yep. Just this past. So I, I wow. feel like it was two years ago. It was like six months ago. Um, yeah. I think I have PTSD from it. It was, it Ooh. was just too much. It was all too much. And, you know, my husband was working on his PhD stuff, so he really couldn't help at all. And I mean, just the orders and the like what like visit Knoxville called me and they're like, Hey, we want to put in a big order, but I, I want to call and talk to you about it. Cause I'm not sure it's something you can handle. I was like, I'm bringing it on. What do you got? She's like, I need 700 boxes. I was like, okay. And boxes are, we do two different sizes. We do a half pound box and then a little two ounce mini bag. And the two ounce mini bags are like, like a good snack bag. It's like the amount of toffee that you would eat maybe in a candy bar. Um, mm -hmm. the boxes are half pound boxes. And she was like, I need 700 of them and I need them in a month. And I was like, Oh, sweet. We have a month. Yeah, no problem. Well, I no oh my problem in my head versus all the other orders that were still coming in and her 700 box order. I mean, it was more it we I should have, I should have planned it better. And I didn't. But at the end of that time, we got it done. It was great. But it helped us realize like, we can't do this again. Like we can't we can't operate the way we're operating. We can't deal with the space that we have, the setup we have. I was having mom drive every single night and every single weekend. She's like, I don't want to drive anymore. And she's getting older. So I told my husband after everything was like January 2nd, I was like, first off, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I, I'm done. I can't do it. I just, I can't, I can't do all of it. You know, you, you just can't. And I, I still loved my Sugarland job and the people that work there. But I said, I either need to shut it down and be done or I need to go more full-time because I can't do both and I can't operate it the way we're doing. And he was like, okay, shut it down. 
<laughs> Your husband talks so straight. <laughs> he is, and it's so good to hear. Sometimes I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I, I kind of meant maybe more full time. And he was like, well, I knew you would. But I wanted to know what your reaction was going to be like if I just said, shut it down. Would you be like, oh, thank God, you know, the pressure's off. I'm not the one that had to make the decision. Or are you going to fight me on it? Because if you're going to fight me on it, then you're serious and you need to do it. Um, so he is actually incredibly supportive, but he is, he's not the kind of person that will kind of, you know, I don't know. I don't know, not cuss words to say that. Just kind of pussyfoot around the topic and we'll just give it to you straight. All right, I don't even know if that's really a word. I just don't know what other word. To use when you, you know what I mean. He doesn't beat around the bush. Beat around the bush. That's what real people say. Yeah. That is a <laughs> I forgot about that one. No, he doesn't do that. So he was like, yeah, I think, I think you're always regretted if you don't. I think you'll always wonder what if, if you didn't. So go for it. So we started looking at spaces and in realizing what it takes to build out a commercial kitchen, um, I just it's too big. It's too much. We don't need a range hood and we don't need an exhaust system. So renting commercial kitchen space was just really expensive. Um, and it paid for it all during the holidays. But to think that what happens if from January to September, we don't have any orders in? Like, let's just say, worst case scenario, can mm-hmm. we still afford to pay for the kitchen space if we're, if we're renting from somebody? And I, I just couldn't imagine that we, we could. And I was like, even during that time that feels slow, if we have money coming in, I'm going to need it for income, not rent to somebody else. Mm -hmm. So our plan quickly shifted from renting kitchen space to owning a kitchen. And when we started looking at stuff, I looked everywhere from West Knoxville down to almost to Saudi Daisy because I was like, oh, mom was already ready to go down there. Um, (laughs) But lucky for us, there was this little building that had been on the market for three months in Sweetwater. It's right on Main Street. Um, it's uh, If you're in Sweetwater, it's not the nicest section of Sweetwater. It's not in like the really super cute, like downtown Main Street, like the little antique district. Um, mm. We're outside of that. We're with the auto parts store and the car wash and the HVAC. <laughs> okay. But they are the nicest neighbors, like the nicest. They help with anything and everything. They've been in their buildings for 30 plus years. They know everything there is to know about this area. So I really couldn't have asked for a better location. So we put an offer on the building at the end of January and, you know, COVID stuff hadn't kind of erupted too much. I mean, there was like little bits of it here and there, but it, it it didn't sway my plans. I was like, we're going to, we're going to do it. And the building, um, this is a part about business stuff. I wish people were more open with, I wish people talked about the money side of it more so Mm -hmm. you could really understand what it is they're looking at. Um, so if you don't care, I'll just tell you all the, all the nitty gritty, dirty details. Is that okay with you? Well, I have some questions about everything that you already talked about. Can we, can we take a look at those real quick? I would love to do that. Please go for it. Okay. So back in the beginning, when you were first selling toffee to raise money for your Brazil trip, were you marketing that as such? come and buy toffee from me so that I can go meet Sarah in Brazil? Or were you just saying, come and buy toffee from me? Um, No, I definitely talked about it for the trip because in my mind, that's all it was for. Um, Mm -hmm. And I have helped sponsor other people's trips and I've given money. And I just don't like the idea of somebody giving me money and not getting something in return. 
even though I had mm. quite a few people reach out and say, Hey, I don't really want the candy. Can I just sponsor? Can I just give you 20 bucks to like help pay for your trip? Um, but I wanted to be able to provide them something um, in return for their sponsor money. So it very much was, this is just for the trip. This is just um, a side thing. This is just to pay for it to get me going. So also this, <laughs> what even is toffee? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might have been where we started this whole thing until I started rambling. But yeah, that's like, a really good question. We're um, like 28 minutes into this conversation. Um, but like I've I've eaten toffee, but I have no idea what it is yeah. or how you make it. So uh, yeah. So for like the lay person who might not know the whole candy industry, if you've ever had a heath bar or a stork bar, that's or skull, I don't even know what that other bar is. It's that's a that's toffee. It's like hard caramel. Um mm. and I grew up in Northern Ohio. So we, and this is the weird part too, is since I moved down here, there's quite a few people that have never had it or have never heard of it. And where I grew up, it was such a common thing that I thought everybody would have known, but I've realized that there is a bit of a learning curve that I've had to kind of overcome with telling people about my products. But it is, there are lots of different recipes, lots of different ways to make it. Um, I grew up, my dad was a teacher and there was a janitor in his school and every holiday they would make toffee and it would come home this little white box with this little red and white twine. And he would buy one box from the dude for $5 a box. And that was the only box we'd ever get for the year. And it was amazing. And one year it didn't come. His wife had gotten sick and they quit making it. And it was so sad. But, you know, college and life and stuff, and I kind of didn't really think much about it, but I've moved around a lot. And I lived in Boston for a while. And every time we traveled, I'd go to every candy shop and I'm like, Ooh, I love toffee. I'm going to get some toffee. And I get it. And it was just so bad. I was like, God, it doesn't <laughs> taste like anything. I was like, I don't know why it doesn't. I mean, I thought toffee is toffee is toffee. It should all taste good. <laughs> and it just doesn't. <laughs> so... I, my husband loves to bake and make stuff at home with his vision stuff. He doesn't watch sports and he, he doesn't, we don't watch TV hardly at all. Um, cause he can't see it, but he does love to spend time in the kitchen. So I was like, it's like, what do you want me to make? Cause he, he made some things he loved. I was like, Hey, could we figure out how to make toffee? And this was years ago when we first started dating. And so he and I read all these recipes and we tried so many different things and we finally figured out why first off most of them taste bad and why the ones that we like taste good and it's the basic root of it is a butter and sugar and when the butter and sugar kind of emulsify they create this hard kind of brittle candy now the ones in my opinion that taste bad are the recipes that use like water and corn syrup um very little butter and you can taste it it tastes like kind of flavorless it looks the same but it doesn't have that rich, buttery toffee taste that I think toffee should taste like. So mm. the recipe we use a very basic, old school butter sugar, and it tastes so good. And so it hardens and then you put stuff on it. So either you can leave it naked or you can put chocolate on it, dark chocolate, milk chocolate, um, white chocolate. You know, you can make different, different flavors with different things. Um, but yeah, the, it's kind of like a hard caramel. I'm so wanting some right now. <laughs> and lots of nuts. That's the other part I forgot. There are a lot of nuts involved. Almonds and pecans are what we use, but some other people use walnuts or uh, macadamia nuts, but we, we usually use almonds and pecans. And like the the butter sugar thing, marriage, the marriage of the butter and the sugar is what holds those nuts together? Yeah. 
So it's like a liquid lava. So we'll do like (laughs) almonds on the bottom. And so you sprinkle them, you toast your almonds. And they're like sliced almonds, not the big giant like break your teeth almonds. And then you make your pot of boiling lava. It's like you use a candy thermometer. And when it reaches like 310 degrees, you dump it over your nuts. And it gets hard. And you cover it with more nuts and chocolate and all kinds of goodie. And then once it's totally cooled, um, you can break it up and weigh it and bag it. Yum. Yeah. So tell me about the process of formulating your recipe. Yeah. So mostly it was a whole lot of Pinterest and trial and error. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's in, and then as we've made it so many times, um, it's just kind of, we have such a system to it that it's consistent. And that's one thing I learned working at the distillery in Gatlinburg is anybody can make anything good once, but the true key to a successful business is consistency. Um, You know, if you are a home brewer and you make one really good batch of beer, it's hard to start a a full business out of it if your next batch isn't going to be good or the third batch isn't good. But the seventh batch is great. You know, you really need to have consistency to it. So um, as we've made it and kind of gotten our process down, it's, it's incredibly consistent every single time. And in the beginning, it was not. I mean, there were a few batches. If your butter separates, I mean, you just got to dump it and start over. And we're like, why have we made it the same way every time? But that time our butter separated. Like, what did we do different? What did we fail on in that moment? So, I mean, it's been a good year since we've had our butter separate on us. But in the beginning, it happened a lot or it burned um, or it didn't set up the right way or it was very oily when it got done. So just making it over and over and over and over and over and over, you really kind of get get it down to where the consistency is there. And then the tasting quality was just, it was so, it's so good. What would your reaction be when something unforeseen happened, like the butter separates or it burns? Oh, so when my, when it would happen, my mom, she'd get so upset. Oh. I'm like, mom, it's a pound of butter and some sugar. Like, move on, dump it out, move on. Like, we're not, you don't cry over spilled milk. You don't cry over burnt butter. Like, you just dump it and move <laughs> on. Um, sometimes we try and salvage it because it was like almost about to separate. And you're like, oh, crap. So you can turn the heat down and whisk it like crazy to try and get them, you know, back integrated to each other. But sometimes it didn't work or sometimes you don't catch it early enough. But yeah, you just dump it and move on and just know that like, try and learn from that moment because there will be times it just doesn't work out and you really can't, you really can't futz over it. I mean, even though it's midnight and you're late and you're one tray away from being done <laughs> and then it burns. <laughs> Gosh. So how much toffee did you consume <laughs> while you were formulating the recipe? Yeah. And how many cavities do uh, you have? I don't have <laughs> cavities, but between moonshine and toffee, I do not <laughs> look like the same person I did three years ago. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I told my husband, it's all market research and hell, he's blind. So I'm like, as long as you can find me, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Oh my gosh. But all joke all joking aside, like really um I I'm 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 a very sensitive person. If I eat too much sugar, I can feel it immediately yeah. and I am like out of whack for a while. Yeah. So if I was taste testing toffee batch after toffee batch after toffee batch, I would be like You would. So I would be kind of a wreck. You that's where the <laughs> consistency has come in. The only ones I taste test now is when we're working on a new recipe. 
And I have faith in all the other ones that the butter didn't separate. It's exactly the way we've made it. I don't need to taste test it. And you can tell when you're breaking it, if something feels not right. So I don't need to Mm. taste test anymore. So I'm hoping this next chapter of my life, I maybe get my button gear because it's, it's, it's a whole different shape than it used to be. Because I, while we're developing it, I did taste test a lot. And then sometimes when you're just really, really in the weeds of all the work and the project, you take a bite and you're just to remind yourself that it really is very, very good. And people will believe in the product, you know, because after you kind of quit tasting it for a while, you forget and it just turns into work. Um, but you have to remind yourself like, oh, it, it is delicious and it is fun and it's, it's joyful and whimsical and all the good things that toffee should be. So I still taste this, but it's more for the joy of it than it is the actual, you know, tasting, taste testing it. That's a beautiful moment. You know, when you take a bite of something that's really fucking good, it's just like, <laughs> you know, your pupils dilate yeah. and like, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, that's, that's really beautiful. I'm also curious. So, you know, you mentioned Visit Knoxville was like, hey, we want 700 half pound boxes in a month. So how did you do that? Was that just you and your mom? Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, huh. they didn't need it for the whole month. Like they didn't need it all at one time. So we would do, um, okay. you know, 250 boxes in a weekend and drop them off and they'd be good for a while. And we do another 250. Um, we just did it and, you know, we paced it out so that it was still reasonable. And we still had our other orders to do in between those two. Um, luckily, they all wanted the same flavor. So it was very easy to do all the trays to buy all the ingredients. Everything's the same. Um, When the bigger orders come in and they're all the different flavors and different sizes and everything, it gets a little, it's like a test and logistics on making sure you have everything you need. Because once you're in the kitchen making, you don't want to run out. And of course, you know, I can't call my husband to like, hey, can you go to Costco and pick up, you know, more nuts for us? And that that doesn't happen. So we just need to kind of plan ahead. But yeah, we got it all done and bought one box at a time. One box at a time. What's the so what's the shelf life of the product? Is it something where you can like kind of plan ahead and make like make some batches in advance? Does it last or is it yeah the so best when it's fresh? I, it is best when it's fresh. Um, but part of it is we always would hold orders and do everything to order. So we would only make what we had orders for. But that really left us in a lurch when there's no inventory to be had. Um, and because I didn't really have my own kitchen and my own space and we were in other people's spaces, I couldn't store inventory well at all. So having this building now in Sweetwater, um, gives us the chance to actually have some inventory. So when orders come in, we don't have to get back in the kitchen to make, I can actually just like pull the inventory and ship it out. Mm. Cause the shelf life on it, ideally it's best when it's fresh. It can sit six months, no problem. It can even sit a year. It will just start to get a little soft. And one of the things that could happen potentially is the chocolate will start to turn a little white. It's called like a sugar bloom. Um, it still tastes great. It just doesn't harm you. It doesn't do bad. The texture will change just a little bit. So it won't feel quite as like smooth and creamy, but it's still absolutely edible and it doesn't mold. There's no water component to it. So the, that keeps the shelf life a lot longer um, mm. than maybe other recipes. Wow. I need to get some, I need to get some toffee. get some toffee. So you, so like, let's, we can like get back on the highway now. Uh, We took a little pit stop for all of my questions. Now we can get back on the highway to talk about, you said like the numbers side and the money side. And I'm so glad that you wanted to bring that up because like you said, 
it is something that I feel like people don't talk about very much. And it it is a part of the business that I'm curious how people are figuring yeah. this stuff out. So lay it on me, girl. Okay, good. Because I wish more people would talk about it. And that's something in that Knoxville Entrepreneur Course, that co-starters, they really have you work down through all the numbers and make it work. And I was like, oh, that's a part that it just didn't, I didn't know. And it's so, you know, covered up between, you know, you don't talk about salaries, you don't talk about real estate costs, but some that you can find, but I just wanted to tell everybody where it is and where it's at. So if they're trying to start on their journey and they want to do something similar, they can start to see where we were on our path and whether it would work for them as well. Mm -hmm. So our little building is a freestanding building. It's like 1300 square feet. Um, when we bought it, it was in really bad shape, but the, the bones of it were good. So we didn't have to do any structural changes. We did remove some walls, but for the most part, it's the same, you know, structure that we, that we bought. So it was on the market and had been on the market for three months and it was on the market for 86,000. Um, so a cheap little building. Now, mind you, I'm in Sweetwater, so I am I'm not looking at West Knoxville prices or downtown prices. This is 35 minutes from my house, and it's the drive is kind of what you, you know, you exchange for the the price of the building. Mm-hmm. But we, um, in researching the building, it's in a 50. <laughs> this is where it gets a little shady. It's in a 50 year flood zone. So because mm-hmm. this area of Sweetwater had flooded in the last 50 years consistently. Um, this building did not qualify for standard like mortgages. So you couldn't, um, I mean, you could, but then you have this crazy high flood insurance that you have to pay every year, which kind of offsets why would we even own the building at a good price when you have this crazy high flood insurance. Um, But in the 90s, TVA had come through and redid a lot of downtown Sweetwater, so it doesn't flood anymore. Um, mm-hmm. so all of my neighbors that are around me are like, yeah, we haven't seen water up. I mean, it's still, water still comes into the park that's next to us, but water doesn't ever make it to the building. Now mm-hmm. I say that now it could change by next spring, the way the world is going. Luckily we've built our building to withstand that. So everything we have, which by code, it needs to be six inches off the ground for the commercial kitchen side of it. But even in the retail shop side, we have everything up off the ground. So on one random day, if it does get flooded or something, the water can come in in receipt and go back out. So everything is concrete floor, polished concrete. It's very flood, flood resistant. But because of that, we put a really low offer on the building. So we offered them 60 and we ended up settling and we closed on the building for 66. And the wow, way that's pretty it, good. It's really good. And, and that's where I wonder like how other people are doing it. You know, how are they, how are they managing these high monthly payments? And I guess it's a, I make such a, I don't want to say cheap product, but I do. I mean, when you're looking at how do you pay for a mortgage on a $4 mini bag of toffee, you just, you're the quantities you have to sell are really high. So Mm -hmm. I know we can cover those with even big rent during the holidays, but what do we do kind of on our off season? So we needed something that we could afford throughout the year, even if I had no money coming in and that it wouldn't be like draining all of our accounts just to pay for the rent. So we use an equity line of credit to pay for the building. So we don't have to use any of our, um, you know, the mortgage isn't, we don't have to pay for that insurance. We still have regular insurance, but we don't have to pay for the flood insurance, mm. which was like three to 6,000 a year. Um, and which sucks because it's never going to flood. And then I don't really need that money. It's just waste. Um, yeah. So our monthly bills are really, it's like $380 a month. Um, 
out the door. So that's kind of everything. And then we did a lot of the renovations. We had to hire contractors to do the renovations that need to be done, like to code, like our electrical and our plumbing and everything. But um, we tore out the walls. We polished the floors. We did get a new roof on the building. But all in all in, with all the inventory now in our retail shop side too, we're still in at less than $95,000. So you said, you mentioned an equity line. So like you took out an equity line of credit on your own personal home? Um, I took it out on my mom's farm. <laughs> oh, thanks, mom. <laughs> thanks, mom. Um, I pay all the bills. It, my name is on the loan. So I'm still okay. at fault for it if I if we can't, but now we've put so much into the building. If we, if this doesn't work and we turn around and sold the building, we've already enhanced the building's value a ton. So it was a risk that she took for us. And it's not something I could have just done without her, but she had helped build the business and she really understood kind of the direction we were going. And I ran all the numbers by her and I was like, this is what we need to make for me to be profitable. And my or her husband was like, uh, based on your numbers here, it looks like you have you taking home a salary. I was like, yeah. He goes, what startup gets a salary in their first year? I was like, me, because I'm leaving my salary job and I can't unless I'm bringing in money. So I had to you know, account for that in our budgeting on what it would take for me to pay all the money back and take home a salary. So um, they believed in the numbers and they believed in the work and mom seen how hard you know we've worked and how much we can do. And and so this is as much her her space now too as it is mine. So even though I'm the one with the little design studio in the building and all the stuff, she I couldn't do any of it without her. So mm. it's it's hers and she she's in on it now too. So did you and your mom make toffee together when you were growing up? No. Um we only ever ate it together. <laughs> she is uh um I'm not even gonna say that. She's let's just go, she's a great cook. Um <laughs> But it was my husband and I that developed it. And then when she moved down here, I told her what I wanted to do. And I was like, she's like, well, I have all the time in the world. Let me come help you. Uh, and so I taught her how to make it. And the first time we did it, we got it all done. And, you know, you do it on a baking sheet with like a sill pad. So we got it all done. It's all on the sheet. She's like, great. Now, how long do we bake it for? I was like, yeah, mom, you, you don't. Like, it's, it's done. She's like, huh? Say, say what now? I was like, now it, now it cools. We don't need to bake it anymore. So I taught her how to make it, but now she can do it better than I can. And she, her butter will never separate and she is on it like a hawk. But she has more like work, stronger work ethic than I think I've ever met. Because like there are days when I was like, I don't want to deal with it. I can't, I'm tired. She's like, no, we have an order in. Get up. If I'm driving there, we're making. I was like, okay. And she doesn't ever let us stop till it's all done and out the door. So you know, having that kind of right by my side has really helped us get this far. It sounds like you have a good, positive relationship with your mom. Has it always <laughs> been that way? You're laughing. Am I wrong? Oh, I no, it takes work. <laughs> it takes work. Um, you know, when we were little growing up, I mean, so I have an older sister or well, I had an older sister. She passed away in high school. But, you know, when we were growing up, my sister was, my sister and my mom were super, super close. She was like captain of the dance drill team and she was super beautiful and curvy and smart. And and her and my mom were just best friends. And then I was like the middle child with this weird red hair and I was an art student and I was awkward. 
And Mm. my parents were divorced and I got along great with my dad and my mom and I just weren't really that close. Um, You know, and then Heather passed away in high school and we really, really weren't close because we both had to kind of mourn in our own way. And instead of bringing us close together, it actually pulled us further apart. So we had many, many years where we were not close, not, not on good speaking terms, but just really not a very deep relationship at all. But her moving down here and helping and being around my kids has just changed everything. And I think part of it is I grew up and I kind of got my head out of my ass and I needed the help. And there are times where I want to be, you know, spiteful and bitter and grumpy, but it's life's just too short for that. So she'll still say stuff sometimes. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but you just overlook it because it's not worth going to battle for, or you know, ruining a relationship over and my kids having her right here near them. And in fact, my youngest is so similar to my mom. It's scary. So I think somehow it skipped that generation where my daughter and I are identical because we're, we're not, she's her own little person, but she is so close to my mom. And that helps me overlook any flaws that I would like to be nitpicky about. Um, cause I think people get very hypercritical of each other sometimes. It's just not, not fair or healthy or good for anybody. And I have to remind her of that too. Cause she'll start picking at me sometimes. I'm like, really? You really care that much about that? She's like, no. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> How has your becoming a mother changed your relationship with your mother? You know, it's funny. I want to say, oh, not at all. Of course I can do everything and I would never tell her that, oh yeah, she's right. But it's weird. You have a kid and all of a sudden you're like, oh, oh, that's what you were going through and dealing with, you know? And and it sucks. You have to take like a big old slice of humble pie sometimes, but um, having the help and having the relationship is worth it more so than being right. Um, Even though I really like being right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were growing up, did you have any entrepreneurial influence in your life? Were either of your parents self-employed? Were you just entrepreneurial from birth? (laughs) Yeah, no. Um, So my dad was a school teacher and he had to take ongoing courses to keep up his teaching license. And one of them he took um, was an entrepreneur course. And I don't know even know why he took it or what all the details were, but he met these guys, uh, these three guys, it was called group three communications and it was an ad agency. And the one guy was a creative, the other one was a salesperson. And the third guy was a photographer. And at the time I was 14, 15, and I was, uh, I had won a bunch of awards for watercolor painting. And that's where I thought I was going to be a painter. And my dad was like, that's cute and all, but I'm not supporting you the rest of your life. I think you need to find a career that can utilize your design skills or your, your painting, but in a way that's marketable so you can actually be employed. So he helped get an internship for me when I was 15 at the ad agency. And this was back when like Photoshop 2, not like CS2, but Photoshop 2. <laughs> and there were not layers and it was old school. And I did photo clipping and... um slide scanning and retouching. And I worked that internship for three years to the point that I didn't really finish out high school. Well, after Heather died, high school was already a mess anyways. So I kind of bailed on high school. I still graduated, but the last year and a half, I only went for a couple hours every day. And we worked with the school on knowing that this is the career I'm going to go with. And this is the direction of my life. And the school is for me, it's not really working. It was really hard to go back to school after Heather died. 
So I had had that internship. So kind of in a roundabout way, I've been in the agency world since I was 15. And so seeing that entrepreneur side really kind of helped shape that you have a dream and you have stuff that you want to do, you just go for it. And then I kind of always thought I would go into business doing a design studio. But it's just, it's after you've done it for so many years, I was like, it's hard to just still constantly working to build other people's brands. You know, when they come to you and they've got these ideas and you see their entrepreneurial spirit and they need you to help make it happen and you spend all your time and energy building their brand for them and then they're really successful and you get paid your money. I mean, you still got paid for the work that you did, but to see their brand grow so much knowing how critical you were, but how you're kind of nothing to them. You know what I mean? Like they value the work and they pay you for the work and it's an even trade, but they get so successful with what you built. It's just hard year after year. And I just didn't love the idea of going into design studio for myself because I I was tired of building everybody else's brands so that they can be super successful. And I'm still driving my husband to work in our little Kia. Um, You know, so doing the coffee stuff, I just felt like maybe this is it. Maybe this is, you know, maybe this could be my little brand that I help build and and bring to life. So that's kind of how I always thought I would. But I, I, if you had told me, Two and a half years ago, you'd be in a shop in Sweetwater stirring a pot of boiling butter. I'd be like, what are you talking about? I never saw it coming. (laughs) So when you finished high school and you had this three-year internship under your belt, did you go straight into the workforce? Did you go to college? Yeah. So I, I did go to college. I actually started at Ohio State. And their program at the time was not what I needed it to be because I knew exactly what I needed to do to get my job. And so after about a year, I transferred up to the University of Akron in Ohio, and their program is amazing. They are a state school, but their art department is privately funded by an independent donor. So it's actually called like the Mary Schiller Myers School of Art. So I went to the School of Art and I have um, a bachelor's in fine art with a focus in graphic design. And from there, I moved to Boston and worked. And I always thought I would end up in New York City. Uh, I have family in New York. And so I thought I would be there, but after Boston, I was like, yeah, peace out. I'm not, uh, the city life is not for me. Um, I wanted somewhere to go, but after Heather died and high school was kind of a bust, I was like, I'm just not sure going back to Ohio is really what would make me happy. So the guy I was dating at the time, we started looking around and it was between like Charlotte and maybe Tennessee and, you know, just looking kind of somewhere warm. And then the crossroads of 75 and 40, cause I love a good road trip just kind of an ideal place for us. So he transferred to UT and we moved to Tennessee, got married and divorced right away. (laughs) (laughs) I stayed and I love it in Knoxville's home now, but that was back in like 2003. So it's, it's been a while. Can I ask how did your sister die? And if you don't feel comfortable sharing, we don't have to talk about it. No, it's something I actually speak very passionately about because I think it's really important that people understand Um, the repercussions of your actions sometimes when you think you're invincible and you're not. So her and her friends, one of her friends was a swimmer um, and she was in Ohio, but her parents, I I think they were divorced. And one of the parents lived in Florida so that she could go to a better high school to get into a better college. So my sister and four of her friends drove from Ohio to Florida to see Megan and they were just gallivanting all over Florida. And one night they stayed up late And they got up really early in the morning, like six or seven to drive a couple hours to go see my aunt Lynn. 
and Megan was driving and she's like, I'm really tired. So Heather took over driving and they all fell asleep and drove off the road at like 90 miles an hour. And Heather and Megan both passed away and the three in the backseat had a lot of complications. Um, but they're all still alive and around. And I think they all three still live in Ohio. But it was tough. I mean, she was in Florida. We were in Ohio. And and when they first told me, I didn't realize she had actually died. They just said, you know, your sister's been in a car accident. And it was devastating. And it was maybe two hours later that I asked someone at my house, the pastor, you know, there's a lot of people at the house. I was like, well, when is she coming back? And they're like, well, we don't really know. I was like, well, is she going to be okay? And they all just looked at me like, oh, oh, you don't, you don't really get that. Like, no, she's not okay. Like she's, she's not, she died. And it's like, oh shit. And life changed at that point. You know, you never think you're ever really alone when you have siblings. You just know like, oh, they're going to go to college here and I'm going to go probably where they go. And, and then all of a sudden I was the older sibling and all eyes were on me and it sucked. Um, mm. I was not equipped for that. So I had a, I had a really, you know, few very hard years, but going to college gave me a chance to, I went to college and at first, like I didn't tell anybody because I was like, I finally get to be the girl that didn't have her sister just die. I get to mm. just be me. So it was kind of a, a way to rebuild myself. And I had a lot of really good friends that were around me that, that helped me get there. And it was, it was a very eye opening. And I'm not sure I'd still be the same person who I am today if that hadn't happened. Uh, Cause she was such a, a force to be reckoned with in life, you know, and I just was always second fiddle. And I was very happy in that role. You know, I don't, I didn't need the world to look at me. Uh, they looked at her and that was great. But yeah, all of a sudden life changed. How does that still show up for you today? Oh, it's funny. Um, I'll look at other entrepreneurs' um, social feeds or or Facebook feeds or whatever their website, and it they'll they're kind of the face of their brand. And I still don't. I'm not comfortable with that, and I don't like it. I'm like the face of our brand is a box of toffee. Like it should <laughs> not <laughs> should not be me. Even doing this podcast is very weird. I'm like oh my gosh, I have, someone's going to listen to this. Like I sure as hell hope not. No, not for you though. I really hope they do, but I hope they don't. Like it's so nerve wracking. Um, and I don't like it, but the, I've found that people have enjoyed working with me over the years or they like me, which still feels weird. Maybe they like it more than a box of toffee. So I've had to very, very purposefully try and put myself either on the website or on social media, just so people know that that is my company. I invited friends and they're like, I'm not supporting one more of your clients because I've, I've not really been like the kind of person to invite my friends to like all my clients work. But when you're in branding and you're in advertising and marketing, if you invite them to like a page, they're like, I don't even know what this is. I don't know whose it is. I'm like, no, no, this is, this is my company. So to kind of claim it as my own and to kind of put the spotlight on me has been very weird. I'm very uncomfortable with it, especially with the state of moonshine and candy has done to my body the last three years. I'm like, I really would not like to be in a picture. <laughs> <laughs> but life's short and at some point nobody really cares what the size of my butt is and and they're just happy you know to get to to support me and see me so you've mentioned several times that you like that life has been crazy you know you you have responsibilities as a mother and as a business owner and as an employee and as a wife and how do you find time for self-care and what does that look like for you Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I <laughs> I didn't expect that one. Um, 
You're going to make me cry. I really don't. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I get my hair cut like once a year. Um, and, you know, shopping for my husband and my kids gives me a lot of joy. Uh, you know, when I'm looking for new summer wardrobe for him, I do all his shopping because he, re- he really can't, he can't um, see things. He can't get stuff, but he loves to have, he can see things close up. So he loves to get stuff and me give it to him, but he can't go shopping and actually like look on a rack and see anything to, to find what he likes. So I find joy in that. So he is very good about watching kids and doing stuff where I get to go kind of have my little excursions. This whole COVID where things are closed early is kind of killing me because I am a night owl. So a lot of times I will go out and do grocery shopping at 11 o'clock at night or something. And it's my quiet time and it's peaceful and I can putz and do my stuff. And, and my job, I never had to get up really, really early. Like kids' school days, they suck. Um, <laughs> but I, I like my little bit of quiet time in the evenings to kind of piddle around or go to Marshall's or, you know, even Walmart when they're open late, I'll just walk around and, and find quiet time. But I'm not, I don't like it when my nails are done. I don't like people touching my feet. Um, I, so the, the spa is not really my thing. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I just little bits here and there. My daughters, they bring me so much joy. They're, they're the quietest, they're cool kids. Um, and they will have creations and, and play and just sitting with a cup of coffee and listening to them makes me happy too. How old are they? Um, 13 and eight. Ooh, wow. But it's great. They're finally old enough to like wipe their own butt and buckle their own car seat. Like it's yeah, life-changing. You realize how much time you actually have that you didn't have before um, and how much efficient you can be with the time that you do have. Whereas pre-kids, if I looked at doing all that I do now, I'm not sure I would have ever understood how it could get done. But once you've spent those years wiping butts and changing diapers and staying up all night with sick kids, you just realize when that goes away, you you can utilize that time to do something else and build build something bigger for your family. Um, so when I mentioned the question about self-care, you it sounded like you got a little emotional. <laughs> yeah. What was going on for you with that? Yeah. Sometimes I, I think it is important to take care of yourself and it's not something I've made a priority. Um, and it, it, it is a little emotional. Sometimes I think I should take better care of myself. Maybe, maybe go to the gym or work harder or, or spend more time with friends. But I, I just weren't, I'm not at a chapter in my life where I have that luxury right now. So I think I will get there and I try and find the moments in the, the small moments. But, you know, sometimes I look back and I'm like, oh, that's, it's a little sad. You know, I, I think I should, um, I don't know, be more responsible in, in doing that. But I just, I just, my goals are too big right now. <laughs> you know, I just, I really want to work to get them done. And I feel like there is a horizon where that will change. You know, my last day at Sugarlands is the beginning of August and, and I know we'll get through this holiday season and it'll be nuts, but it'll be a really balanced version of nuts. In the past few years have been a very unbalanced version of nuts. Um, <laughs> So I hope I can get back there. I, I really want to take better care of myself for my friends and my family. I want to be around. You know, I don't want my weight or my health to start being an, a component of that, you know, chaos. I want that mm-hmm. to be something that's well taken care of and well balanced and, and healthy because uh, I want to be around a long time. I would just like to offer that in my other life, when I'm not hosting a podcast, I like self-care is basically my job. Oh, I'm I love a mas- that. I'm a, I'm a massage therapist and, um, and a movement educator. And 
I think that a lot of people get really grandiose ideas about what self-care looks like, like getting a massage is the only way you can practice self-care or getting your nails done is the only way that you can practice self-care. But I think that the little things that we do from day to day can go a long way in improving our sense of well-being and improving the the amount of compassion that we show for ourselves and others. So is there uh, something small uh, that you do each day that might seem mundane, but that actually brings you joy? Yeah, I love, this even sounds stupid, I love driving. Driving Mm -hmm. is like my happy place. I love being in the car. I love being in control of the car, which actually works out great, but my husband never drives because I never have to sit passenger. But he, every morning, part of, you know, him saying kind of his thank you for, for driving everybody everywhere. When I get in the car to start our day of school, drops off work, whatever we do, I have a cup of coffee and (laughs) I have two Oreo cookies, sometimes three um, vanilla Oreos and they are my happy place. So I have my coffee and my cookies every morning while we're dropping kids off and doing things that makes me feel efficient and helpful. And it's quite, we never have the radio on in the car. Um, it's just quiet and we get to talk and chit chat and it's, that is my little happy time. And there had been a time or two I've gotten in the car and there's not coffee. And I'm just like, what happened? What, <laughs> what do I, how do I do? I, do I have to make coffee? Cause sometimes he's traveling and I just don't even think about it. And I get in the car and I'm like, Oh gosh, there's no one here to make my coffee. It's not in the car. Like I have to stop what I'm doing, either go back in and deal with all of it or pick up coffee on the road. It's just something I kind of started to take for granted, but I do. I love that in the morning, the coffee and my cookies. Um, and that's how I start my day. That makes me smile hearing you talk about that. Um, I can hear that it does make you happy just in your voice. Yeah. And how great that you love to drive when your business is 35 minutes away from your house. (laughs) I do think part (laughs) of my business's success is that quiet time in the car where I get to think and process. Um, You know, once you get somewhere and the day gets going, it's hard to have those times to really think. Um, And the thinking side of it is so important. And when do you do that? And when do you have that chance to really spend time with yourself and your thoughts and your day and your plan? Um, And I'm not a big long-term planner. I don't, I don't really keep a calendar that makes me, uh, fulfilled. You know, people love the calendar where they can check stuff off and that's, that's not me. I'm kind of more in the moment, but I do like to have some quiet time to really process and think about things. It's so great for creativity too, to have some space for your mind. Yes. It's definitely important. Well, one thing that's on the minds of a lot of people right now, and especially my listeners that are moms, I'm thinking about school. So we're doing this interview on July 15th, and you know Knox County is supposed to release their plan for reopening. And um, I would just like to hear from you, how has it been with the kids at home having to, you know, back in March and April and May, having to do a little bit of home learning maybe. And then uh, what are, how are you feeling about the possibility of your kids going back to school in about a month? Yeah. Well, we are in a little bit of different situation. Our kids go to Catholic school um, and their school's very, very small. So in Edith's class, she only has 12 kids. 
in her classroom. So it's, I think we're looking at a different maybe plan than what Knox County has. We are going back to school as far as I know. Um, they sent us a plan and see, this is how spoiled I am. I didn't even look at the plan because we have four parents and there are three other people to tell me what I'm supposed to do with our kids. And so I have faith that they are more on top of that than I am. And at some point, <laughs> life is so busy. I'm like, I can't know all the things about all the stuff. So um, Josh's ex, her name is Erin, and she is amazing. She is literally like a, her day-to-day is a planner. She's like a project manager, um, producer, planner. So she is all about the planning and knowing everything. She already did all the school shopping and the kids stuff. She'll even do it for Edith because I, I, I just don't have the mental capacity to even take it on. So she said, did you read the email from the school? I'm like, nope. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, I, I mean, you'll tell me if something's wrong, right? <laughs> um, and that's kind of the way we've done life. It's like, if something's really important, they'll let me know. And if not, then I can't absorb it all and take it all on. You can only take on so much. And when they came home, my 13-year-old is so studious. She's at the top of her class. She had it all. And she helped my younger one with a lot of her schooling stuff. Um, and then my husband took care of, cause when they got out, I think Knox County even kind of called it a year and our school did not like we finished out the school year doing online classes and mm. my older one helped my younger one get a lot of her stuff done. And then my husband helped set up all her zoom things. I'm like, I, I, I just can't, I just don't have the bandwidth, um, to take it all on. And I, and they're, I would rather them personally just be really happy and and in a moment of confidence and joy for them than stress and anxiety. So if they missed an assignment or did thing, I was like, you know, it's not the end of the world. They're, the whole world is a little crazy right now. If we didn't put a sock puppet thing together that your art teacher asked you to do, then you know what? I think we're going to be okay. And it'll all work out. So it was a, it's, a, it's all been a game of balance. You know, where can you still get things done that are really important, but not so overdo it that it feels stressful? Cause that sucks. I don't even want to be stressed out by that. And I know my kids don't either. So they'll be okay. I do think they're going to go back. I think more than anything, they've missed their friends. So we've done a lot of FaceTiming of buddies. And um, like today the school was open, the library was open. So I took her to the school library and lo and behold, sitting in the computer lab, there was her second grade teacher and they chit chatted for a bit and you know, she missed her and they both kind of wanted to hug each other, but you can't. So you just chit chat from a distance and check out a few books from the library and you know, it'll be okay. So through our conversation, you know, I've never met you before, but it sounds to me like um, you have this drive, this determination that when you get an idea into your head about the way that something should be, you are going to go for it, no matter what your dad says or what your husband says (laughs) or what anybody else says, have you always been that way or did you kind of have to work for it? Well, um, that's a good question. Yes. No, I think I've always been determined, but it comes with confidence and years of experience. I don't think I've always been as determined to know that it'll work because I didn't always have the years of experience under my belt to know that I have looked at all the options. I've done all the research. So the confidence comes from taking the courses at Knoxville Entrepreneur, asking all the questions, getting help from the commercial kitchen side of things. Um, I'm determined to do it because it's holes in my knowledge base that I want to fill. So if I can fill them and feel better about it, then I have the confidence to know that I'm doing it the right way. Um, But that comes from experience and and years of asking and pushing too. 
um, it's funny, my cousin has tried to start his own business and he doesn't have, you know, 20 years of working for somebody else to kind of drive him to do that. So, uh, I think that will come with time for him, but I think it's something that, you know, 20 years, is a long time. Imagine if I had done this 20 years ago, I'm not sure I could have. Um, mm-hmm. but also knowing that if you build it now, I've got another 20 years, you know, under my belt and imagine what it could be then. So that kind of drives me. And, and my husband's, my husband is amazing. If you ever get a chance to meet him, he's the smartest guy I've ever met, but his vision could get worse. So this is also kind of a long-term plan for us as to what, what can we provide as a family for our household that will give us some stability. That's something that he could come and help me with or work in or just have this to fall back on whether it even just be the building real estate is an investment um, that helps kind of drive those decisions too. You said that, or you mentioned that you have maybe like two more weeks or a few more weeks left at your job at Sugarlands. And then you're going to be full, full time, all the toffee, all the time. Yeah. So how are you feeling about that? Oh my gosh. There are times I look around here and I'm like, what have I done to my life? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm about to give up a career to stir a pot of boiling butter. Um, but <laughs> and sometimes it sounds like the damn dumbest thing that's ever been done. But then I'm like, no, no, I planned for it. We have, I did the numbers. It will work. I swear it will work. Um, and then I make a batch of toffee and I take a bite. And I'm like, oh yeah, fuck, it's great. It'll work. Um, it is nerve wracking, especially during all this COVID stuff. You know, maybe my plan if all this had happened, might have shifted a little bit. But then I also think people really believe in small businesses and and working hard and working for yourself. So I think the people will still support me, I hope. Um, But also being in Sweetwater, I really could not have picked a better location to launch a business. Everybody down here, the business owners, the city have been so supportive and so nice and so happy to have me. Um, I do think it'll be successful. I'm sure. I mean, I sure hope. Um, but you know, I think we've planned as well as we can, but it, it is nerve wracking. I've tried to leave an opportunity too with Sugarlands that I can still freelance some. And then during the off season in January and stuff, I can still freelance design. Maybe some of the businesses down here need some branding or website or marketing help that I hope I can contribute to them in case stirring butter is not everything in my life. But you know, it's, it's it's definitely nerve-wracking. I I'm taking a huge leap of faith and it's one that I feel like I've made the decision to do it so I have to see it through. It's not like it was forced upon me or you know I was unemployed and trying to develop something for for myself. It's it's a conscious choice. So, yeah, it, that that part feeling the burden on that that there's no one else to tell you what you should do or shouldn't do or when to do it or what the timing is. It, that's that's hard. That's not something I'm used to doing. Um, I mean, that's something I always wished I could do, you know, call the shots, but that's not been my career path up until now. So it's very different. Um, but I've had a lot of, a lot of input and a lot of advice from a lot of people. And even though you don't have to listen to every little bit of it and you don't have to take the advice from everyone, it's always, I've found so great to ask because everybody has a different journey and a different path. And I too have listened to a shit ton of podcasts. (laughs) Um, to help kind of understand and learn where other people have been here before and they have those nerves too. Um, But listening to their plans on how it kind of happened, it's been very helpful. One thing that I think adds stress and worry 
for many Americans to the idea of transitioning from employee to entrepreneur is health insurance. What is your family doing for health insurance? Yeah, luckily where my husband is at has great health insurance. So we've been on his plan now ever since I started at Sugarlands. And when I was at the agency, we were actually kind of on two different plans. His was a single person plan and mine was a single person plus kid. And now that we're all on one plan, it's like a family plan. But I don't understand because it's for like a family of four and more, which we're not because Eileen is on her mom and stepdad's insurance. So we're we're on his stuff. But I'm, I'm nervous about losing the 401k contributions that Sugarlands has added to my income, which has been huge. Um, mm. That part's a little scary. You know, the benefit side of it, it's like, how do you really make that work? But I'm going to try really hard this first year to see if I can still contribute to it on my own. Uh, but I really don't know what all the numbers are going to look like. So it's going to be it's going to be crazy a year from now having the same conversation, seeing seeing what happened. And when you found out, like you started to kind of get wind back in March that like, oh shit, everything is getting canceled. Everything is closing down. What was your reaction? Was your initial reaction about health? Was it about your business? Was it about your kids? What, what, what happened for you in that moment? Yeah. Um, really it was about health. My husband, the reason he's blind, he was born really, really premature. He was born at like 26 weeks, um, back in, you know, 47 years ago. So the doctors told his mom not to even name the baby. He won't last the night. And instead they gave him four names. So he has Joshua, Bernard, Zachary Lobner. He has a big, big name for teeny tiny baby. And He lived and his eyesight never developed and his lungs never developed. So during all this COVID, the lung side of his health has made me very nervous. He has been hospitalized before just from the regular flu because it gets, anytime he gets sick, it gets in his lungs and it just does not let go. So this side of it with the COVID and the lung capacity has just made me very nervous. So we, he has really not left the house. I mean, he's back to work three days a week, but he has his own office. So he's very contained. Um, but he has not left the house or gone to the store for anything since all this started. I'm the only one that leaves and comes and goes. And I'm very OCD about hand washing and where I've been and who I've talked to and wearing a mask and my kids don't go out. Um, so it's mostly the health side. I feel like the business side, you know, everything's kind of imploding, but I feel like we've planned for very little overhead to support the business and, um, so we can kind of survive on very little income for me. And knowing this is kind of down the pipeline, we've been saving for two years. So mm. we have a, a very fat savings account right now to help get us through this next year, just in case I don't have any money coming in on what I need. Because the kids in their school and the life that we have, we really do need my income to survive. So we've kind of planned for that. So even if this first year doesn't go exactly maybe as it would have before COVID, I still think we're going to be okay. Um, And I really don't want to not follow through with it just because I'm scared. I think we plan for it to be slow and steady. Hopefully it's that way and hopefully it doesn't get worse, you know, but if it does, we'll sell the building. I'll go back to marketing. That's, you know, worst case scenario. It's, It's not the end of the world and I'm not afraid to admit it didn't work. But I think if I had never done it, I would have always wondered. And I always would have been maybe a little bitter going to work every day thinking this could have been my dream. You know, I could have been working um, 
for my, for my dream instead of working for someone else's dream. Um, but if I have to go back and I have to, to admit that this didn't work the way I thought, that's not, that's not the end of the world. And I think sometimes that's maybe what would hold people back thinking if it fails, I'm a failure, but that's not the case. It just means nobody w- loved toffee as much as I did. <laughs> and then I'll just have to eat it all. And that's okay too. <laughs> <laughs> I love what you just said about if it fails, that's okay. It doesn't mean that I'm a failure. Yeah. I think we need to let that sink in. Yeah. I think that's a that's a message that that many people can identify with or that that it's a message that a lot of people need to hear. Well, and I think that's been something that's kind of been an underlying thread through my career as a graphic designer and a designer in general. You are your field. When you meet people, they don't say, you know, what do you do for a living? You're like, I am a designer. That is who I am. Um, But over the years, I've shifted that a little bit. And I did account management for a while. And that was a huge step in realizing, if I'm not a designer, who am I? And realizing that it doesn't matter what I do for my job, I am who I am. And that's not going to change. So if this fails, it doesn't mean I'm a failure. If I'm doing account management doesn't mean that I'm not creative person anymore. So if I give up my career in marketing doesn't mean I'm not still good at marketing. It just means I am me doing different things. And that's okay, too. I ask all of my guests to share about a time when they had to insist on getting their way. And I've started also allowing for... So you can choose if you want to answer that question or if you'd like to share about a time when you insisted on the success of another woman. Oh, that's really good too. Wow. I'm not usually a person to insist on anything. Um, I'm usually... Are you sure? I'm sure. (laughs) 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 Maybe with myself, but with other people... I, I don't, uh, you know, even my mom, I just kind of keep my mouth shut and let her, let her do her thing. Um, but I do think the personal development of other women is so important. And I've had worked with a, quite a few interns over the past few years and even, um, junior people starting out in their career. And that's been something that I have worked very hard to insist they get what they deserve, um, when they're interviewing against other candidates, when they're, maybe not quite as qualified for the job or they don't feel that they are when they absolutely are. Um, I'll go to bat for them every time. And it's funny in the, in the, over the years I have had to work with some difficult personalities that were also women that, that I think in their ethos, they feel like they're building other women up, but instead they're actually tearing them down to build themselves up. And that's been hard to swallow on. How do you work with them? How do you, how do you balance that out? And how do you still work, to build yourself up and the other women, because there's more women there besides that, those individuals. And that's, that's always been a, a big challenge. So I've read books. I feel like any challenge you come across, there's a book's been written about it. So you know, <laughs> do your research, read a book, and it really helps kind of, you know, center you back on what's priority and what's important and how can you, you know, still guide them. I don't know if that really answered your question very well. That was very, very me talking in circles. <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned a wom- like women at, at work who thought that they were or had like convinced themselves that they were helping other women, but actually were not. Yeah. Did you experience a kind of like an adverse? Did you have like an adverse experience with um, a woman like that? 
yeah, I actually, it, there was almost a few like right in a row, right in a row, right in a row. And you're like, what, what is going on? Like, what am I doing? It's like, I'm miserable. This person is difficult to work with. And, and what, how do I, how do I deal? How do I cope? So I read a book like, oh, I wish I could remember the name. It's like something like working with the mean girl or mean girls mm. at work or something like that. And I read it and I realized there are moments in that book that I felt like it was talking about me. And you're mm. like, oh shit, hold up. Like, I'm not so sure this was completely one-sided. And it gives you a little bit of perspective into how you handle yourself and deal with other people. So even if you're not necessarily dealing with a specific person, um, I felt like it was a great read just as a reminder to myself on how to how to be a good coworker and how to work with other people too. Because um, we all bring shit to our jobs. You know, we all bring years of of drama or crap or good or bad or something. And everybody's is different. And, and then all of a sudden you all have to work together. So how do you, how do you manage and, you know, deal with all of that when there's, especially in the creative, there are big personalities, big opinions, and it's all subjective. So how do you navigate that in a way that's so respectful and great for the work itself and doesn't necessarily just revolve around multiple personalities of all these different people and inputs. So it's, that's a lot, but um, yeah. So I think it gave me some time of self-reflection. How do I recenter my goals and make sure I'm not the mean girl? You know, how do I make sure I'm not the one making people go home frustrated with me? And and I have my moments. There are still times where you know our designer will call me out and she'd be like, "How you spoke to me? That's not okay." And I'm like, "Oh snap! Yeah. You know what? You're right." And I was having a bad day, and I am sorry. She's like, yeah, I get it. Still not okay. I'm like, no, you're right. Not okay. And I will work on it because I am not perfect either. And, you know, when you get stressed or tapped out on all the things, there are ways that you sometimes end up snapping at people that are closest to you. Um, not because you mean to, just because you think that it's still going to, they're still going to be okay with you afterwards. And when they call you out on it, you're like, yeah, yep, I did that. And hopefully you have people in your life that are willing to call you out on your shit because it happens. It happens. And we cannot change other people or control the ways that they act. We only have control over the ways that we show up. Yep. Yeah. And help build those people too and have them see their flaws and have them understand it. Now, if they're unwilling to accept it or work on that's a whole nother conversation. But hopefully you can surround yourself with people that all want to grow and be open to having the tough conversations of when they've you know, messed up or did something wrong. And hopefully you have the gall to actually tell them that too. You know, I think sometimes I've not stood up and said something to a person that's really either offended me um, just because I don't want to rock the boat or, you know, cause any grief. But when someone else does it to you and you're like, oh, and we're better on the other side of it because you did that. Maybe I should have done that. You know, maybe I should have, um, you know, stood my ground. And I just, I think more than not, I didn't or don't. And I've been the one to suffer because of it. Talking about this is making me think of a podcast that I re- I recently listened to and I want to I want to it was so good. So I want to share it with you and yeah. I want to take the opportunity to share it with the listeners and especially because you were mentioning that you, you know, spend so much time in the car and you love listening I to do. podcasts. So have you listened to Brené Brown's podcast? Yes. Okay. I love Brené Brown. I love her podcast. She did a special two episode um, thing series. What I don't know what it's called, 
with a woman named Harriet Lerner, and they talk about it's how to apologize. Yes, I love that. It is so good. And what you said when you mentioned like that somebody called you out on the way that you spoke to them. And I was just listening, I was listening to the words that you were saying in that like apology. And, you know, maybe it wasn't exactly like that in the moment, but it sounded really good based on what Brene and Harriet said. That was a really good apology from you. Oh, good. (laughs) Well, it helped us grow together. It helped us get, uh, in fact, we're now stronger because of it. And I know that when she has things that she needs, she can lean on me and I can lean on her. And there's nothing but brutal honesty between both of us. And it's, it's so freeing to know that you can be able to talk with someone where they, it's each mutual respect for their personal growth on both sides. I think it's very hard for a lot of women, especially to speak up in those moments when they feel they've been wronged or offended because we have been kind of groomed to not rock the boat, to not ruffle feathers, to be a nice girl. And at the same time, a lot of us aren't 100% aware of when we're acting a fool and being mean. Mm -hmm. And so it is in a way a nicety. It is a kindness when you can, when you can say that hurt me. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think if we all did it in a way where we're all concerned for everybody else's personal growth, it would help all of us. Cause I think so many times we don't say anything or we suck it up or we deal with it, but then it just escalates and it goes on more. And like, I've had it where I bottle it all up and to the point that you kind of lose it after a while. And you're like, man, if I would have just maybe spoken up the first time instead of like losing it on the 50th time. And then that person's <laughs> like, well, I had no idea. You know, it's like, well, how do you have no idea? You've, you've done this to me so many times, but if you're not talking to them about it or, or helping get past it, it's, it's not going to help anybody. You're just going to end up the same cycle over and over again until it explodes. And then that's really not good because then I found the conversation shifts from what was actually said to more how I handled it or how I exploded. And it's like, I don't want the conversation to be about that. I want the conversation to be about why that happened in the first place. But it's more like, well, you exploded and then you said this, this, and this. I'm like, right, but I get it. That was maybe not my best moment, but can we talk (laughs) about what led up to that moment? But it never seems to happen that way. It only ever happens. Now the conversation is about the big explosion or the big meltdown or the big breakdown, whatever that big thing was. I'm like, no, that's (laughs) not what I'm, I don't, I get it. Yeah, great. Fucked up or I'm wrong or I exploded. Yes, moving on. Can we talk about why? And that never seems to happen because- People don't like to dig in and do that work. But if we did it from the day one and called it out, then that wouldn't happen, you know? Especially because I think when, if we nip it in the bud, we can kind of approach it from a position of, I'm I'm teaching this person. I'm letting them know with this very true and pure, like, I'm teaching you that this was not okay for me. And if you bottle it up, and, you know, you, you get into that stress, like your nervous system yep. goes into that like fight, yep. flight or freeze, and it shifts your perspective and you stop being able to recognize the good in the other person. Yep. 
And then that, then the explosion. And you're right. It does become about the explosion. Yeah. Every time, every time. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I say that like it's happened a million times, but it's happened enough that I know that that's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for the people around me. And it's not a good way to be. So it was after Edith was born eight years ago, I did have a few really rocky years of kind of emotional imbalance. And it was Mm. stressful job, stressful home life, just too much. And I couldn't really make ends meet on on anything. So it was a very volatile time. Um, And I think I had more of those explosions than I think I would have ever even admitted to. And I think the people that stood by me and believed in me and helped me I mean, they're, they're with me now for the rest of my life because of how much that meant to me. Um, but you hopefully can grow past that. But being able to talk about those things before that big upset would be so much more valuable. But you're not taught that. You're taught to like suck it up, deal with it, carry on, don't say anything, don't rock the boat, don't be offensive. And then you just take it, take it, take it, take it, take it until you, you can't take it anymore. And then it's like, oh, look at you. You blew up. You're, you know you're not balanced. You're something's wrong with you. It's like, no, no, <laughs> there were all mm-hmm. these times I probably should have said something and I just didn't. And now the conversation's not about that. This is such an enriching conversation. And I'm, I've enjoyed talking with you. I know. I feel like so much forever. And I bet people got bored with me like 45 minutes ago. <laughs> no. <laughs> Well, that's why you that the cussing keeps people interested. <laughs> yeah. Well, fuck Evan, right? <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your story and talking with me today. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you so much for asking me when you so Erica or someone told me like, oh, I suggested you be on their podcast. She might contact you. I was like, oh, God, oh, God, are you serious? It's like, that's a really bad idea. Have you met me? Like, that, I'm not sure that that maybe put my best foot forward. I'm trying to launch a brand. I think this might put me under. Um, but somehow you still had faith in me. Maybe it's because you didn't know me. So, um <laughs> I think our experiences are so valuable and that our stories just, they make us feel brave and connected. And it doesn't matter if you think your story has great things in it. It's going to help somebody. I hope so. I hope so. I feel like after dealing with this building and learning the retail side of it and cash register and barcoding and UPCs and the USDA, I feel like I could teach a course on how to navigate a retail shop now when I, you know, six months ago had zero experience. So hopefully beyond that, people can learn something. Otherwise, maybe we just entertain them for an hour. We are now taking applications for Sarah Loebner's how to start doing a fucking retail (laughs) shop. Hell yeah! <laughs> so many of my guests have cussed during our conversation and they'll stop and say, oh, am I allowed to cuss on here? And I'm always like, I'm here for cussing. Yes, please. Let's do it. Another thing my guests frequently say when the interview is over, 
I'm sorry if I monopolized the conversation. I feel like I just talked about myself so much. That's literally why you're here. I wonder if I was interviewing men, would they say something like that? I can't imagine they would. What do you think? Let me know. Send me a DM. If you think toffee sounds tasty, head on over to TennesseeToffeeCo.com. That's Tennessee spelled out toffeeco.com and order some. What are you waiting for? I wish I could smell it right now. I'm kind of like imagining the smell of toffee, but I want to actually smell it. <laughs> There's so many ways to connect with us here at In Sisterhood. Remember to leave that rating and review on Apple Podcasts and give us a follow on Instagram at InSisterhood. You can also find us on the web at InSisterhoodPod.com and our community on Patreon is at Patreon.com slash InSisterhood. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you'll join me next week for another Real Talk conversation with an inspiring gal. Really. I insist. <laughs>